Hi, and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're so excited you joined us today. No matter where in the world you are, we want you to know that you're family. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Journey Online. So glad you guys are tuning in. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor. Grateful to have you with us here today. And I just want to, before we dive in, I want to just share with you a few things. First off, next week, we're going to be kicking off a brand new teaching series called Last Words. We're going to be looking at the sayings of Jesus from the cross. And as we're transitioning toward Easter, yeah, it's crazy. Easter is almost here. We're going to look at this as a reflective and a very powerful series as we look at some of the last words that our Lord and Savior spoke while up there on the cross. What did he mean by them? And how do they impact us today? I believe it's going to be a meaningful, powerful series. So I'm going to encourage you to tune in, be a part of that. All kicks off next week. Now, also, I want to encourage you, since this is the end of our series, I would love for you to hop on after the service to join us at our Zoom calls. It's a great time to connect, great way for us to deepen the words we hear in the message. Let's be honest, in these Zoom calls, we've laughed together, we've celebrated together, we've cried together. It's an important time, and I encourage you, if you call Journey your church family, join us after the service. Only 15 to 20 minutes won't take up all of your time, and we would love for you to join and be a part of it. Now today, we're wrapping up what's been a five-part series called The Struggle is Real. How do we make sense of our finances? And we've been talking about how do we experience God's best when it comes to our finances, Week one, we talked about the letter A, attitude. We said that most of our money problems exist between our ears right here. If we're going to change our financial picture, it starts with having the right attitude and the right thinking. Week two, we talked about the letter B, bondage that comes with debt. And we said that a lot of our struggle starts with us, that we've got to overcome our debt picture. Week three, we talked about the letter C, which is choice, right? We talked about tithing, which is returning the first 10% of what we earn back to God through the local church. We give God our first and our best, and we trust that he's going to bless the rest. Last week, my friend Josh Edney from Bridge Church shared us some important and practical advice on how to manage our finances and how do we build a legacy. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you, go back in our YouTube page, watch that. But today, as we end this series, we're going to talk about an important decision that you and I have to make when it comes to our finances. Now, yes, getting out of debt is important. Yes, changing our attitude about finances is important. Tithing matters. But I guarantee if you don't make this decision, you will never experience the financial freedom that God desires for you. So what is it? What is this decision? Here it is. The key decision that we've got to make is to live a life of irrational generosity. To live a life of irrational generosity. Now, so often when we think of generosity... We think of it in random terms or in special circumstances. For example, a natural disaster hits a country and it moves us. So we text a number and we decide to give them a little bit to kind of help them rebuild their area or their country. Or or maybe we're in the mall 
and we're shopping for Christmas and we hear that Salvation Army bell ringing. And they always got the cutest kids, right, standing in front of that bucket. So we feel bad, right? I got a couple quarters, so I pull it out. I drop it in the bucket. That's generosity. Or a friend or someone in growth group, they, they lose a job. And so we set up a GoFundMe page and we give $20 to help them. We think generosity in terms of that. Now, all those things are good. All those things are important and meaningful, but that's only a one-time decision. We give generously, but then we move on with our lives. Today, I want to talk about how do we move past the one-time act of generosity. And I want you to imagine with me for a moment, what would it look like to have a life of ongoing, intentional generosity? What would, look, what would that look like for you and for me? Well, today, let's start with the Apostle Paul. Paul had a lot to talk about this topic of generosity. Paul was the guy who had it all. Paul was the guy who had a little. And he writes these important words to Timothy, a young believer, a young follower of Christ, and he shares these words with him. I think they matter for you and for me as well. Let's look at these here in our notes. Paul's words, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, before we move on, this is a loaded passage. And as we're breaking this down, I want to share with you some good news. I want to share with you some bad news that we find in this passage. Some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? All right, let's start with good news, right? Good news is, here you go, are you ready? The good news is that we are rich. Woo, right? Yeah, now, now, the reason why you didn't start celebrating or high-fiving your spouse when you're watching this is because you don't feel rich, am I right? Now, I'm not trying to minimize the financial stress that some of us are under, because I understand it's real. Some of us, we lost our jobs. Some of us were struggling to make ends meet. I get that. But the number one reason we don't feel rich is because we compare ourselves with everyone around us instead of the rest of the world, right? But when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, if you make $33,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world, right? Let me give a few examples to help you understand. If you've ever opened up your closet, and you've looked at a closet full of clothes, and you've said this, I've got nothing to wear, you're probably rich, right? If you've ever ordered a coffee that has five or more words in the name, a tall, non-fat, no-foam latte with caramel drizzle, you're probably rich. If you've ever been really angry because your iPhone's battery life stinks, I have too, those are rich people problems. They're first world problems, right? Just because you don't feel rich doesn't mean that you aren't rich. So to help us get on the same page, maybe you don't feel rich, maybe you don't like me telling you that you are rich, but I think at least we all could agree that we are blessed, right? Can we get on the same page about that? At least we could agree that we are 
blessed. So that's the good news. God has blessed us greatly. What is the bad news? Well, the bad news is that you're blessed. The bad news is that you're rich. Now, why is this bad news? Well, because it can be more difficult for us to depend on God, right? It could be easy for us if we have everything we need to get distracted from our true priorities. But also, to be blessed requires responsibility. In fact, Jesus, remember, he said, to whom as much is given, much is required, right? And when our basic needs are met without a problem, we're going to start satisfying our wants, And there's always going to be the next thing, right? I got to get the next thing, got to get the new thing, got to get the this thing. And all of a sudden, the the lines between what I need and what I want can become really fuzzy and really blurry. And so in this passage, the Apostle Paul, I want you to understand, he doesn't say there's anything wrong with being rich, right? He doesn't say it's anything for us to be ashamed about or embarrassed about. He just warns us. That if we are not intentional, our hearts are going to drift away from generosity. So what does this mean for you and for me? Well, what if the true key of financial freedom is not more money? What if the key to peace in our finances isn't about what we can earn and what we can grow in our portfolios? What if true financial freedom comes from knowing God knowing that he blesses us and understanding that he blesses us to be a blessing to others. Now, I think most of us here would want to be known as generous people, right? Nobody here wants to be selfish or greedy, but how do we know if we're really living this out? In your notes, I want to give you four principles on what it means to live with irrational generosity. Four principles. Number one, the first principle is the principle of contentment. It's the principle of contentment. If generosity is going to mark your life, you've got to live this first principle out. In fact, let's go back to our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul's words in the beginning, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Now, one of the key words I want us to focus in on in this passage is that phrase, put their hope in wealth. You see, when we put our hope in wealth, the situation always becomes more, right? I need more money to do this. I need more of the next thing. When I have more of this, then I will be happy. It's an illusion that we will never come to grips with. In fact, Gallup once did a poll to see different income level groups. How did they define being rich? Now, as you can imagine, everyone had a different definition. Nobody thought that they fit the definition of being rich. And in fact, here's what they found. They they found that most people that made a very low income level, poverty level, they thought that making 30,000 years would make them rich. They polled those who were 30,000 a year. They said, making 60,000 a year would be, make me rich. They polled those who made 60,000. They said, 150,000 would make me rich. In fact, you get the idea. It just keeps going and going and going. It's like chasing after a moving target. In fact, John D. Rockefeller, the richest man in the world at one point, somebody, some people say he was America's first billionaire, and they asked him, how much money is enough? His answer just a little bit more. You see, many times we buy into 
and we fail this idea of contentment. Look at this next verse here. It says in your notes, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we were brought nothing, or after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. What a powerful verse, right? If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, what does it mean to be content? It means that you decide to stop spending on your credit card. You don't need the mile rewards. You haven't even taken a vacation in three years. It means that you're going to cancel those subscriptions that you don't need. It means that you don't need the new Samsung phone or the new Beats headphones or the PS5. Why? Because the only solution is contentment. Some of us, we need to learn to admire without the need to acquire. So learn the principle of contentment. Number two is learn the principle of open-handed living. Learn the principle of open-handed living. Living. Now, now, what do I mean by this? Well, I need you to help me out here for this one, all right? Those of you watching at home, in your apartments, wherever you're at, I want you to take your hand, stick it out for a moment, and clench your fist as tight as you can. Go ahead and clench it and hold it. Do you feel the tension right now? My, my hand is like literally shaking because I'm holding it that much. Do you feel your wrist, your arm, your biceps tighten up? Not, not mine, I don't have biceps. But do you feel the tightness in this right now? Don't use this to punch your spouse or the person next to you. Do not do this, all right? But hold this on. Now for a moment with all that tension, I want you just to release at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Man, do do you feel that? Do you feel the release? Do you feel the tension just gone? You see, too many of us We can't be used by God because we're living like this. God, it's mine. God, I want more. God, I I want this. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Don't ask me to do anything because I don't have much and I'm not going to be able to do it right now. I'll do it later, God. It's mine. But the result is tension, stress, anxiety, fatigue. Open-handed living brings freedom. And see, one of the things that I've discovered is there are the the people who are the most generous are often the ones that are the least stressed out about finances. Has nothing to do with income level. Has everything to do with perception. That's why Paul says this, going back to our key passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, when Paul says to be generous, no doubt he's talking about finances, right? Taking our tithe, returning the first 10% of God, that's the standard. But generosity is also going above and beyond the tithe. There's other ways that we could be generous. We could be generous with our time, right? Right now, even I think of our online hosts who are serving you right now, helping our church take next steps in their faith. I think of our prayer and care team who is praying with everyone who asks for prayer during the service. They are an example of being generous with their time. But this verse also tells us to be rich with good deeds. In other words, look for ways to bless others so that they know there's a God who loves and cares for them. 
What does it mean? It means you could check in on a neighbor who's elderly and might not be able to get groceries on their own this season. It might be to give someone a gift card who lost their job. It might be donating to a local food pantry to help feed the hungry in our city. It could be something as simple as just inviting someone to watch our online services and to have a chance to put their faith in Christ. Generosity starts with our finances, but it's so much more than that. In fact, look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So there's the principle of contentment, the principle of um, open-handed living, and the number three, the principle of sowing and reaping. Farmers have understood this principle from the beginning of time. Right? A farmer, they would never expect to reap a rich harvest if they didn't first do the hard work of sowing the seeds. Sowing and reaping is a law of nature. Now, in our culture, we would call it cause and effect. Right? If you do this, then you could expect this to happen. Right? If I eat like crazy for a month, I'm going to gain some weight. Cause and effect. I reap what I sow. But I want to see this more than just cause and effect and a law of nature or a law of life. And I want to see this deeper as a spiritual law. And our finances are a direct result of this cause and effect. Or we reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 7 says it like this. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. See, I think so often we want God to bless our finances, right? We ask him to bless us and trust us with more. We want to reap his blessings, But the question is, are you then sowing seeds of generosity, right? Are we trying to reap something that we're now sowing? Close-fisted sowing doesn't produce God's open-handed blessing. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You see, every farmer knows that we reap proportionately to that which we sow. In other words, the more seed you plant, the more harvest you can expect. You see, one seed will produce fruit that has more seeds in it. And then that seed is sown and it produces more fruit and more and it goes on and on and on. So so why am I sharing this? The point is this. There's power in the seed. So many times we think the power is in the harvest, but the power is in the seed. And what does this have to do with your personal finances? You see, when we sow seeds of intentional generosity, there is power in that. We might not see it right away because there's always a distance between sowing and reaping. But if we sow today seeds of generosity, we can always expect to reap God's blessings. Let's look at number four. The fourth principle is the principle of eternal perspective. The principle of eternal perspective. Going back to our main passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19, he says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, the Apostle Paul says that when you commit to intentional generosity, when you're rich in good deeds and you're giving to others, you're actually storing up treasures that matter to the kingdom of God. You're investing in things that are going to outlast this life. 
You know, it reminds me of the story of Rick Warren, who leads Saddleback Church, but we also probably most know Rick Warren for writing a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And his story is told that while he was writing this book, he was praying and asking for God to bless it, to get his book to people at the right time, at the right moment. And as he was praying about the blessing of this book, he decided to do something called a reverse tithe that when it came to the book and the proceeds, he decided he was going to give back 90% of the proceeds away to missions and mission-minded causes, and he was going to instead live off of the 10%. Well, today, Purpose Driven Life has sold more than 50 million copies. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list for a record 90 weeks, and the book is written more than 85 languages. Now, why do I share this story? Because could it be that we've got it backwards? You know, we're asking God to bless us. We're asking God to bless our families. We're asking God to bless our finances, increase our wealth, and then we're going to go out and be a blessing to others. But what if God is instead waiting on you to take the first step? What if he's waiting on you to act in faith and to bless someone else before you are in turn blessed. You know, if we're honest with ourselves today, and if we think about it, I think we could agree that all of our financial prayers revolves around one thing, and that's us. God bless me. God bless my family. Give me a better job with better pay. Give me a better apartment with a house. Increase Bitcoin and Tesla stock because I invested in it. But in reality, if all our desires to be blessed revolves just around us and those with the same last name as us, can I challenge you for a moment? You're thinking too small. You need a bigger perspective. You need a greater and an eternal perspective. You need a vision from God. Look at the most famous verse in Christianity, John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now we see Christ as the ultimate example here, right? God's love for you and I was so great that he what? That he gave, he modeled generosity. And from this act of generosity, what do we get from it? We get salvation, right? We get something far greater than worldly wealth. We get heaven, But for a moment, let's turn around this verse. Instead of it saying, for God so loved the world that he gave, what if instead it said, for I, for you, so love God that you, what? What would your response be? You see, we're never more like Christ than when we give. And my hope and my prayer is that you're going to move past thinking of generosity as a one-time act or a one-time decision Because it's so much bigger than that. Stop thinking small. Church, the world needs you. The world needs me. The world needs our example and our witness more than ever. Let's decide today, from this moment on, we're going to live a life of intentional and irrational generosity. Let's take a moment and let's pray. God, we thank you for these words that we heard. And God, so many times we we are guilty of thinking of generosity as a one-time thing. God, I I see plight and I feel bad, so I'm going to give toward it and then go on with my life. But God, you called us to more than that. 
Forgive us of small thinking. Forgive us of self-centered living. And God, today, help us to release the grip of greed. Help us to release the grip of entitlement in our life, God, and to see what you see, to see the needs that are out there, to see a community that's hurting and dying and in need of the hope that comes only through Jesus Christ. And so, God, forgive us of our inaction. And today, moving forward, this point on, we're going to live a life of intentional and irrational generosity. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.